when hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls, whenever candlelights flicker, where the air is deathly still. That is the time when ghosts are present, practicing their terror with ghoulish delight. Welcome, foolish mortals, to Dave's Disney View Podcast. Dave is your host, your podcast host. <laughs> Kindly step all the way in, please, and make room for everyone. There's no turning back now. Our tour begins here in this gallery, where you see paintings of some of our guests as they appeared in their corruptible, mortal states. Your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura of foreboding, almost as though you sense a disquieting metamorphosis. Is this haunted room actually stretching? Or is it your imagination? And consider this dismaying observation. This chamber has no windows and no doors, which offers you this chilling challenge to find a way out. Of course, there's always my way. Hi everyone, welcome to another Dave's Disney View podcast. It's Dave, as you might have guessed. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that intro that I just put out there. That was actually sent to me by a friend of mine named Kurt, who's another big Disney fan, and who was channeling his best Paul Freeze to put that together. So thanks, Kurt. Big shout out to you for putting that in there. I hope you're enjoying what you're here. Uh, I'm doing this as kind of a labor of love. I'm, I really enjoy doing it and talking about Disney World. It's just something that, uh, that I have a great passion for. And I hope you're enjoying listening to it. You can feel free to uh, drop me an email anytime to davesdisneyview at gmail.com, or you can uh, become my friend on Facebook. It's under David Kennedy. And it's uh, WDWDave is, uh, is the handle there. Or uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DisneyView. Or you can visit my website at davesdisneyview.shorturl.com and uh, check out uh, my, my page. Really, my website is uh, a collection of links to different uh, Disney-related sites that I like. And uh, has my blog where I have some show notes and occasional other updates. I don't put that much onto the blog. I'm really trying to focus my attention onto the uh, podcast and I'm hoping the blog will kind of support some of the podcast entries I make. As far as the show itself, about every nine or ten days or so, I'm putting a new podcast out there, and I hope you're enjoying them. Now, I would like to recommend that you can go back and you can listen to old podcasts. They're really not time-sensitive at all. You can listen to them at any time and really not lose any perspective on it because it's really just something that's a point in time and you can kind of enjoy it. So if you go back and you listen to, say, the Horizon series, you might want to listen to it from the beginning to the end, and it's a four-part series, but uh, it's really, you could listen to it out of sequence and go, listen, go back and listen to show two and then go listen to show ten and whatever because there's really no uh, time sensitivity to them at all. Now, my, the exception I'd make is I have a couple of news segments and this week we're going to do another news segment and they're a little more time sensitive, but of course, you know, there's, there's information in here that may be, may be of interest at different times. So uh, please do feel free to listen to them at, at your leisure. Uh, 
Over on my website, I have ways that you can contribute. You as an individual are more than welcome to send me your, your feedback uh, about what you think about the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to contribute some audio, I'm more than happy to take that. Uh, there's a donate button on my website and you can feel free to use it. Now, I do have one business-related thing going on. I am looking for someone to sponsor this show or advertise on it. Uh, it's a good opportunity for you to reach a large uh, contingent of uh, Disney fans, the legion of Disney fans that's out there, if you will. Um, and you can read more about it on my website if you go to, if you go to uh, davesdisneyview.shorturl.com. But enough of this chit-chat, yak-yak, and flim-flam. Just reframe from hibernate. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show. And now moving on. I wanted to uh, talk about Disney news for this week. And uh, this is news for the first week in June uh, for 2010. So you may be wondering, where can I watch the FIFA World Cup while I'm at uh, Disney World? And the answer is, of course, that you can go over to ESPN's Wide World of Sports. It's a designated uh, FIFA World Cup viewing location. Uh, the 220-acre complex, uh, the leading multi-sports venue in the nation, hosts, ne hosts nearly 300 sports events each year including the Disney Cup International Youth Soccer Tournament and the coveted Disney Soccer so Showcase, which features the most decorated youth soccer players in the nation. So you can head over to uh, the uh, Wide World of Sports and check out the FIFA World Cup viewing area over there. Now, on my last news segment, I talked about how the University of Oregon and the Walt Disney Company have a relationship about the Oregon Duck. And... I had gotten some questions about this. People were asking questions and wanted to know more about it. So I did some more research, and I figured I would present that to you uh, this week. The Oregon Duck, who was also known as the Fighting Duck, or Donald Duck, or simply The Duck, is the University of Oregon's mascot based on Disney's Donald Duck character, though through a special licensing agreement. The mascot wears a green and yellow costume and green and yellow beanie cap with the word Oregon on it. The nickname of Oregon's first sports team was the Webfoots, Coined by longtime Oregon sports editor L.H. Gregory, the name originated from a group of fishermen in the coast of Massachusetts whose descendants settled in Oregon's uh, Willamette Valley. When the University of Oregon was founded in 1876, Webfoots was the natural choice for the school's nickname because of Oregon's reputation for wet weather. Sports reporters uh, ultimately changed the nickname to Ducks, and in the 1930s, a small white duck named Puddles began to appear at the sports events. Beginning in 1940, cartoon drawings of puddles and student publications began to resemble Donald Duck, and by 1947, Walt Disney was aware of the issue. Capitalizing on his friendship with the Disney cartoonist, Oregon Athletic Director Leo Harris met Disney and reached an informal handshake agreement that granted the University of Oregon permission to use Donald as a sports mascot. When Disney lawyers later questioned the agreement in the 1970s, the university produced a photo showing Harris and Disney wearing matching jackets with the Oregon Donald logo. Relying on the photo as evidence of Disney's wishes in 1973, both parties signed a formal agreement granting the university the right to use Donald's likeness as a symbol for, and restricted to, Oregon sports. The agreement gave Disney control over where the mascot could perform and ensured that the performer inside the costume would, quote, properly represent the Donald Duck character, end quote. In 2010, Disney and the university reached an agreement that removed the costumed Oregon Duck mascot from association with the Donald trademark and may allow the duck to make a more public appearances such as the college, ma college mascot competitions. The mascot in graphic art, which is more similar to Donald Duck than the rounder head and the body of the costume, is still covered by the trademark agreement. So there you go. That's uh, the way it worked out. The, Oregon, uh, the University of Oregon has an agreement with the Walt Disney Company, and I was mistaken in my previous podcast when I said that uh, merchandise would cease being sold. 
But I was correct in that the uh, the duck will no longer be a will no longer be Donald Duck. He'll be his own duck, and you won't have to worry about they don't have to worry about how he performs and what he does uh, as far as licensing. Now you may remember that previously they, Disney announced that there were changes to Star Tours at uh, Disneyland. They had planned on starting the work in Disneyland in October, but they changed the plans. The ride will now shut down on July 27th for workers to start the year-long process to convert it to a 3D attraction. Star Tours at the Walt Disney World Resort is scheduled to close September 8th. Before it closes, there will be a par party of uh, sorts to allow guests one last chance to ride the attraction. The last tour to Endor will be held on August 14th during Orlando's Star Wars Celebration 5. The special event will cost $75 and will be held from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. It will include theme party zones, fireworks, and a Death Star disco. Costumes are encouraged. So you want, if you're a Star Tours fan, you probably want to head over and check that out. You probably heard that uh, Disney is going to be creating a new hotel, and it's a new 2,000-room uh, Disney's Art of Animation Resort. It'll feature 1,120 suites with room for as many as six people each and another 864 traditional hotel rooms with a design based on four of the company's most popular animated movies. The complex will be priced as a value hotel at the low end of Disney World's scale, similar to Disney's Pop Century and All-Star Resorts, where the standard rates right now are around $82 a night. The announcement is one of the strongest signals from Disney yet that it thinks a sustained recovery is underway from the long travel slump brought on by the global recession. Disney executives, who have been weighing construction of a family suites hotel for several years, finally approved the project in January. But in deciding to add another lower-priced hotel, Disney also appears to be betting that travelers will continue their frugal spending habits many adopted during the downturn. Disney will be re relying on discounts to sustain attendance during the past year, uh, and executives acknowledged Tuesday that consumers are still searching for deals even as Disney attempts to return to pre-recession prices. The Art of Animation Resort will be built on a 65-acre plot across from Disney's Pop Century Resort. The location will allow Disney to use a pair of long-neglected, unfinished buildings that Disney originally constructed as a second phase of Pop Century, but which they abandoned in 2001 during the recession. Plans for the new resort show 10 wings of rooms and separate building housing check-in and lobby of restaurants. The hotel will be separated into four distinct groups, each, from a theme, each with a theme from a different movie of Little Mermaid, The Lion King, Finding Nemo, and Cars. Each section will have separate courtyards anchored by icons from the movie, such as a 35-foot-tall King Triton presiding over the mermaid section, and the entire resort will use bright color palettes evocative of the lush scenery of animated movies. Hotel designers say they've been soliciting input from Walt Disney Animation Studios and Pixar Animation Studios on everything from building elevations to which scenes are depicted by the swimming pools. With the project, Disney is placing an aggressive bet on what it says will be a growing market for affordable suites aimed at families traveling with several children or extended families. Disney World has been testing the concept with about 215 suites at the All-Star Music Hotel that were converted out of about 438 rooms about three years ago. And of course, Disney wants to take on uh, some of the other hotel chains that are outside of Disney property, such as the 777-room Nickelodeon Suites Resort, which has proven immensely popular since it opened in 2005, just to the east of Disney World. And Disney hopes that it will lure about a thousand new guests into its hotels each year. Now, speaking of the animation, there was an interesting thing you may have heard about. Toy Story 3 is coming out this summer. Now, the funny thing is, Toy Story 3 was at the heart of the uh, contention with Pixar. When Disney originally signed its 10-picture deal with Pixar, the deal was that they would produce new films and uh, Disney would 
would uh, distribute them, and Pixar would get paid per film. What Disney wrote into the contract that Pixar apparently didn't realize was that sequels were essentially free. So Disney kept most of the royalties from the sequels if they were popular and paid them paid the uh, the artists and animators the, for their work, but they didn't uh, get the royalties that they would have hoped for. So when Disney announced plans for Toy Story 2, that became a bone of contention because that was a free film. But in the contract, it was called for that they could do that. So Disney started planning Toy Story 3 many years ago, and that's when the uh, debate between Pixar and, and Disney really took off, that they didn't want to do any more quote-unquote free films. They wanted to continue to produce their own films. So Cars was originally produced as an independent film by Pixar, and when the agreement finally came back to a conclusion between Disney and Pixar, it was produced and released by the Disney company. So the story of Toy Story 3 may be a little bit different than what they originally had on the table, but I'm looking forward to seeing another sequel of a, a nice franchise of films. So here's an interesting side note for you. The state of Florida for years has been trying to produce a rail system that would take passengers around the state. And primarily where they wanted to go was Tampa to Orlando and Miami to Orlando. That was the big intent. And at various times in their history, Disney has been helpful and not helpful in working with the state. The challenge is that Disney always wants to keep its guests on property. If you're a guest of the Walt Disney World Resort, they wanted to keep you there. So at some point in the history, there was a great idea for a rail that was going to go between Miami and Orlando. And Disney offered up some land on the southern end of its property, so back in Osceola County. And it turned out that at the time, it seemed very odd that they were going to do that. And they said it, was, it would fit within Walt's vision of what he wanted Walt Disney to be, where you would have this entryway, and then you would have a means of getting into the, uh, the city of tomorrow. And that kind of fit in with that theme. What they didn't tell you was that this was a place where they were going to have a housing community, now called Celebration, since it's been built. And they were going to put uh, people in there living and living and working there so that they could those people would have access to leave. But people who were staying at the Walt Disney World Resort, on the whole, would not have the easy ability to get down to the train and be able to leave the Walt Disney World Resort. Well, as you might have guessed, the whole plan kind of fell apart and it never really worked out. But now with some new stimulus money and the rail package that's coming up, uh, there's a good opportunity to re-look re at this entire thing. And the first phase of Florida's expansion is going to be a Tampa to Orlando route that they're working on. And here's a story I found that kind of relates back to that. Every day, Walt Disney World has an estimated 46,500 people to the Magic Kingdom, or nearly eight times the number of passengers expected daily on the planned high-speed train for Central Florida. That's a hell of a lot of potential riders, said Doc Dockery, the retired uh, Lakeland insurance magnate and high-speed rail pioneer in Florida. Right now, the state has no agreement with Disney, other than an understanding that it would be allowed to build a transit station somewhere on the property that holds the Magic Kingdom and three other major theme parks. The $2.6 billion train is supposed to link Orlando International Airport, Lakeland, and Tampa by 2015 with stops in Disney and Orange County Convention Center. Dockery is optimistic that Disney will support the train, though he concedes that he has no idea what kind of backing might eventually develop. Many of those involved in the largely federal-funded project offer the same observation. It's anybody's guess, really said uh, Dave Grovedahl, the chief transportation planner for Metroplan, which sets transportation policy in Orange, Seminole, and Osceola counties. Disney spokeswoman Zoyara Suarez said her uh, employers offer up to 50 acres of free land for the station shows a major commitment. That's pretty exciting, she said. It's worth $25 million. But she said no contract has been signed. In fact, the Disney officials have met only once with Florida Department of Transportation representatives, and that session was brief. Nazia Haddad, who manages FDOT's high-speed efforts, 
characterized negotiations with Disney as give and take, but not especially deep. Details about marketing the train to visitors or exact station locations have not been discussed, he said. They're working with us. That's number one. We're working with them. We'll continue with that. The lack of specificity has some interested parties, such as Orange County Mayor Rich Crotty, uncertain about Disney's intentions. He said he's worried that, that the land Disney might give up may be so remote that it could discourage people from taking the train. Every stop needs to be an important one, said Crotty. The preliminary state map shows the station near Celebration in Osceola County, by the Osceola Parkway and mostly south of Disney's parks and hotels. Some question the attraction's resolve because the Magical Express, a bus system that picks up tourists at Orlando International Airport and deposits them directly in their Disney hotels. Their luggage, which is tagged in their hometown, typically follows within an hour or two. The Magical Express carries 2.2 million people a year and, in practical terms, helps keep visitors on Disney property because they do not rent a car, forcing them to rely on, largely on mass transportation provided by the attraction. Suarez has said that Disney considers the high-speed train as a complement to the buses. That leads theme park consultant Steve Baker to theorize that Disney might be less than enthusiastic in pushing the train. The bus system is a definitive edge. They've really worked hard to get it right. I don't think they want to be in the position of hurting it, he said. Added Jerry Aldrich, president of the Amusement Industry Consulting, Inc., the bus seems more expedient and Disney has more control of it. That's a big deal for them. But Aldrich said Disney undoubtedly does not want to be seen as a deterrent to the train's success, especially since the system uh, does offer the chance of delivering even more tourists to the massive attraction. Aldrich contends that visitors in Tampa, as well as residents of the region, might take the train for a day or two and stay at Disney. It will make the trip a lot easier for people. But Dockery thinks the biggest payoff for Disney could be long-term. Plans call for the train to be extended from OIA, possibly close to a port, and then down Interstate 95 to Miami. That would link Disney with its cruise lines, plus open up the South Florida market. If the OIA Tampa leg is successful, at, and I believe it will be, said Dockery, the Miami route, depending on how you build it, will be the most profitable route in the country. Grovedahl maintains that the future may come sooner than Disney Imagineers believe because Central Florida roads will become more congested as time passes, leaving the Magical Express stuck in traffic on Interstate 4 as the train speeds by in the median. As consultant Baker said, you don't do this train for the next week, you do it for 20 years from now. Suarez said she would not get into speculation. Right now, we don't have anything more to share. It's a little too early to get into details. Now, I gotta tell you, as a fan of Disney and someone who lives in South Florida, I think a high-speed rail would be awesome. As you know, I've taken a couple of trips up to Walt Disney World over the last couple of months, and, you know, most of the time it was a fairly short trip. And the drive is not, it's not that long. It's only about four hours by car, but it's a little bit painful if you're going up for a day, which I've done a couple of times. I know it's a little odd, but, you know, it's, it's something that you can do uh, by living down here. So I really look forward to having a train and having other alternatives to getting back and forth to the Walt Disney World Resort. Some new innovations coming to Disney World. Disney revealed recently that it's testing a new and improved Mickey Mouse, one that can actually talk with guests. Disney says it's currently playtesting the technology, which gives Mickey a moving mouth and the ability to interact in real time with children. It, they're testing it in California, but the video has already been put on the internet and fans have been buzzing about it. And they want to know whether Disney will be eventually expanding the concept to other parks and other costume characters. It's possible that the concepts of the Walt Disney World Parks and Resorts broad next generation experience technology initiative, a hush-hush project that former Disney execs has a budget of close to $1.5 billion. Can you believe that? You know, the, Disney never ceases to amaze me with the way they, they invest in their own ideas and concepts and technology. I think it's just amazing. 
So here's one interesting note about that. Leading the Talking Mickey project is Scott Trowbridge, a well-regarded theme park attraction designer who Disney plucked up from Universal Studios in 2007. Trowbridge was uh, credited with developing the hugely popular and technologically groundbreaking Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man Dark Ride at Universal's Islands of Adventure theme park. And now he's head of advanced development at Walt Disney Imagineering. So you can see that Disney has really put in their thought into making sure that they build something that's really spectacular and different and really changing the guest experience in the long term. And I give them more all the credit in the world for doing that. And I, I think that's just incredible. And also in the technology arena, Walt Disney World is testing the new Q-less weight system. Uh, they started the test back in April at Disney's Hollywood Studios Rock and Roller Coaster. Uh, instead of waiting in line, guests are assigned to a group number, and then they wait in a holding area until their group is called. Ideally, these holding areas will have entertainment such as music, games, and the ever-present gift shop, so people can spend their time uh, doing something other than just standing in line. Although it's similar, this is really different from the FastPass system because with FastPass, you're given an assigned time to an attraction and can continue going around the park and doing other things and then you come back. Here in this case, with this queueless waiting system, you're going to be in a holding area until it's your turn. So you're still in a queue of sorts, you're just waiting in a more interactive environment. So the intent is this should appeal to parents who currently have to entertain their children as they wait in a seemingly endless line all day long. Now. I think this is probably a topic that's suitable for a whole other podcast about you know, how technology has evolved and how things have changed in the theme parks, and I think I'm going to make that a future podcast. But I just wanted to bring up that Disney is doing this, and I think it's really intriguing that they've got another idea for something else that, uh, that really does move the needle in terms of what, what it's like to be at the theme park. One change coming to the Magic Kingdom in addition to the Fantasyland expansion, they're going to uh, change Cinderella's Golden Carousel to be called Prince Charming's Regal Carousel. I know it's a subtle change, but it's Cinderella's Golden Carousel. Why are you changing it? I know, I know, you want to move Cinderella back and put her back in the in the themed area that suits that suits her rather than having it be that. And you can retheme the whole thing to be Prince Charming's Regal Carousel, so you can kind of build up the the theme as you walk through it. Now, I take nothing for granted when it comes to uh, Disney's Imagineering thinking through a, an exact reason for this because they're going to tell a story from there all the way back into the, uh, into the storybook land that you're going to go into. So I, th I look forward to seeing what they're going to actually do there. Two old favorites are coming back to the Walt Disney World Resort. First off, it's the return of Captain EO. Captain EO is going to return to the place it originally started, where the Honey I Shrunk the Audience attraction is in Epcot's Imagination Pavilion. Captain EO is uh, slated to start on July 2nd. It's a 3D musical spectacular featuring, featuring the late Michael Jackson and uh, the show, which originally ran in Epcot from 1986 to 1994, uses the power of dance, light, and music to turn a colorless planet into a world of color and happiness. The film's return to the Imagination Pavilion will provide the new audience an opportunity to experience the original 3D production for the very first time, as well as a nostalgic look back for longtime fans wanting to see Jackson in a rare performance created for the big screen. The Honey I Shrunk the Audience attraction will remain closed until they run the Captain Yo. They haven't set a, an end date for it yet, but it will be uh, presumably returning at some point in the future. Or maybe they make a change and they go to something else. I don't really know. 
But uh, Captain EO is returning to the, in the place it started, and I think that is pretty cool. Now, and the other the other thing that's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Magic Kingdom proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination. In thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds, the Main Street Electrical Parade. The Main Street Electrical Parade will be returning to the Magic Kingdom. And this is pretty exciting. The Main Street Electrical Parade premiered at Disneyland on June 17, 1972. Um, a version of the Main Street Electrical Parade was created for the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World in the resort in 1977. Uh, the Magic Kingdom version was presented until 1991 when it was replaced by Spectrum Magic. The Main Street Electrical Parade that was being shown at Disney World was moved to the uh, Disneyland Resort in Paris. But now it's coming back for a limited engagement for the summer. So actually starting on June 6th, and it's going to be going through August 14th, you'll have an opportunity to see the uh, Main Street Electrical Parade in a new 3D rendering. Uh, they say that the original were, were sort of two-dimensional, and the new ones are more three-dimensional. And uh, you'll see some new things, like Tinkerbell will be at the beginning of the parade, spreading pixie dust around the people. And this should be pretty interesting to see the Main Street Electrical Parade again. I have to admit, I'm torn. I loved the Main Street Electrical Parade as I was a youth and would see it when I was in the parks. But I really, really fell in love with Spectrum Magic over the years. It became a part of you know what I did and who I was. I used to see it regularly when I was working in the, uh, in the Emporium. And I kind of fell in love with the, the parade. And now when I see it and I hear the music, I just feel good. And so I, I will miss it for the summer. But I understand they're going to return it uh, after the summer and uh, bring it back again. And uh, the Main Street Electrical Parade will go back into retirement. But this is kind of an exciting time to be able to see this again. I, I, I do love the Main Street Electrical Parade. Um, the parade will twinkle with approximately half a million lights. Of those, 10,000 are new pixie dust lights that spread over 23 parade floats. The new LED lights use one quarter of the power of incandescent bulbs. The Tinkerbell float alone has more than 25,000 points of light and 75% are powered by LED source. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So I think that's pretty neat that uh, Disney is taking the technology there. Also, to go along with the, uh, this Summer Night-tastic, they're going to have a new fireworks show that's going to go on in the Magic Kingdom after the parade. So if you're headed to the parks at all this summer, you are going to want to check that out because it seems like it's going to be really, really cool. And finally, I wanted to give an update on Disney's Give a Day, Get a Disney Day program. This was a very clever idea the Walt Disney Company came up with. Now, back in 2009, they had the free entrance on your birthday. You had to pre-register, and then you could go to the parks and you could get a free uh, entrance on your birthday. Or if you already had a uh, park admission, you could get a gift card uh, that they would give you. And my understanding was that the t at the end of last year, uh, their plan was to give away 1 million free entrances. And they had reached um, about uh, 700,000 or so people who had registered, and uh, they gave away about somewhere in the neighborhood of 400,000 free entrances. You know, don't quote me on that. It's, you know, the numbers are kind of rough based on what I had heard. But it, was, it fell far short of uh, what they expected to give away. And it was a really nice program. And unfortunately, I couldn't take advantage of it because my birthday happened to fall during the week and I couldn't make it up there during the week. But I actually wound up, surprisingly, I wound up going a few days after my birthday, which was kind of funny. But anyway, I digress. They had this, uh, they had this program and it was really pretty cool. And it was a nice way to kind of give back to the guests. 
But then Disney rethought it and they said, you know, what if we did something else where we ask people to volunteer and in return for volunteering and doing some good in their community, we give them a free Disney Park admission. And they set up the Muppets to do some of their ad campaign for them and everything. And I thought this was a really cool idea. Now, once again, Disney set out to give away 1 million uh, free entrances to the park. So they started off and in 10 weeks of running the program, they had a million people register to do volunteer work. So they closed the program after 10 weeks. And I just think that's phenomenal. I mean, the, the number of people that gave back to their community and you know gave back, whether they were getting something or not, is irrelevant. I think it's just great that people are just giving back in these. I think it's really, really, really nice to see. So, uh, you know, congratulations to anyone out there who did do the program and was able to get in and get, get something. You know, if you've already registered, you will get your, your theme park ticket. But I was just amazed at how quickly this one went as opposed to doing it on your birthday. Ten weeks and they were gone. Just amazing. Unfortunately, I missed out. Um, I'm volunteering anyway, but I missed out on getting the free, uh, the free park admission. But that's okay, you know, I'm, it's a nice perk, but that's not the reason I chose to do it in the first place. Well, that is our news for this week. I hope you enjoyed my look at uh, Disney news. Uh, in the coming weeks, I'm gonna have some interesting new podcasts for you to talk about some different topics around Walt Disney World. As I say, feel free to check out all my archives, see what's going on, uh, listen to other shows. Uh, you know, I think I've got some good content out there and please do feel free to email me with your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, whatever you like. And uh, visit me on the web at davesdisneyview.shorturl.com. The one thing I would ask of you is to just tell your friends. If you like this podcast, tell other Disney fans about it. Hey, thanks everyone and have a great week. Now, please watch your head and step as you exit the moving vehicle. Take small children by the hand. The moving conveyor belt and your ride vehicle are moving at equal and opposite speeds. So please, watch your step. And thanks for joining us on Dave's Disney View Podcast.